Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Hey, it's Heather, and I want to remind you about our very special tours to the UK. In two thousand seventeen, we'll be doing tours focusing on the Evensong experience. The Evensong service comes from Cranmer's Book of Common Prayer from the mid 16th century. It's been dubbed the atheist's favorite service because it requires so little and it gives so much. It's simply divine choral music sung in some of the most historic chapels, abbeys, and cathedrals in England. We'll be spending 10 days visiting places like Cambridge, Oxford, Bath, the Cotswolds, Winchester, and Windsor with walking tours free time to explore, and then gathering back each afternoon for the Evensong service if you choose to attend. It will be 10 days of beautiful countryside, historic cities and villages, and so, so much music. I invite you to go to englandcast.com tours for full itinerary and pricing information. Again, englandcast, E-N-G-L-A-N-D-C-A-S-T, englandcast.com tours. Thanks so much, and now to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, first ever mini-cast. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and to being fully in touch with our own humanity. So I'm trying something new this week, which is a mini cast. My next regular episode, like I said, is going to be on the economy of the wheel in Kent and Sussex, and the iron industry that fed Henry VIII's Navy, like I talked about last week. But I thought I'd mix things up a little bit. So I'm experimenting with the format of this show and trying to get on a pattern of doing a regular episode every other week. And I thought I would throw in these little smaller mini casts in between. So I'd love to know what you think about it. Is this something you like? Let me know. If you like the format or if you want to give me some feedback, there are a couple of ways you can get in touch. Maybe the easiest is you can tweet me at Tesco at T-E-Y-S-K-O, or you can text the listener feedback line, which is 801-6-TESCO, 801-683-9756. Or you can also go on the Facebook page and leave me a note there. It's facebook.com slash Englandcast. Final admin note right now is that a lot of you have signed up for my advent calendar already, the digital advent calendar that I'm sending out to everybody who signs up for my newsletter. And that's really great. Um, if you haven't signed up for that yet, please go ahead and do that. You still have, what, like 20 couple days? No, 
18 days. But I also, really exciting, have a giveaway going on right now. My first ever giveaway for a CD and DVD. It's courtesy of the Choir of Kings College, Cambridge. So it's their new CD, Gabrielli in Venice, as well as a DVD of their Christmas service that was recorded live in 2014. So you're going to want to make sure that you go onto the website and you sign up for that giveaway. And uh, it's going to be lasting until next Friday, six more days. So go on and sign up for that at http colon slash slash www.englandcast.com. You can get more information there again, englandcast.com. And when you sign up, I'll also send you the advent calendar if you want, which will still be fun. You'll just be a week or so behind. And my first newsletter is going out soon with a special mini cast for newsletter subscribers. So that's something I'm going to start doing in every newsletter. So yeah, thanks for... um for bearing with me as I experiment here. And uh, I hope you like the changes that are going on. Okay, so let's get to the story. So there are three poets I want to talk about today. Any of those three could have had a full episode devoted to them. And they may in the future. They are Sir Thomas Wyatt, Sir Henry Howard, and Sir Philip Sidney. Thomas Wyatt deserves our recognition and our interest because he survived imprisonment in the Tower of London having been accused of adultery with Anne Boleyn, along, of course, with Mark Smeaton and her own brother and the other handful of men who were executed. And he has left us some lasting poetry on that experience. But he also, for poets and for writers, is remembered as one of the fathers of the English sonnet. So he has more to say than just about his experience in the Tower. He was born in Kent in 1503. And he entered Henry VIII's service when he was just 13. He was a sewer extraordinary. The term back then meant someone who waited tables rather than sewers as we might think of them. So he there he was waiting tables. And then he also went to St. John's College in Cambridge. He married a woman called Elizabeth Brooke. She was from a noble family. Her brother was a baron. And he had a son, Thomas Wyatt the Younger, in 1521. He was rising quickly through court circles, due in part to his good looks and his charm. Plus, he was skilled in music and languages. So he was just kind of pretty much of a dreamboat. He went on several diplomatic missions for Henry VIII. And in 1524, he also became the keeper of the king's jewels. And some of the places where he went as a diplomat were France and Italy. And it was there that he became acquainted with the French and Italian poetry. So that had a big impact on him. Wyatt's father seemed to have been associated with Anne Boleyn's father, and he did know Anne earlier on in his life. Later, he would also become a high marshal at Calais, and he was one of the people who were sent to the Pope to try to negotiate a divorce for Henry so that he could marry Anne. After he had only been married for a couple of years, Wyatt actually separated from his wife, and he accused her of adultery in 1525. He continued to work in diplomacy by the time Anne was arrested, he was also arrested and imprisoned in the tower. But he was released after just a month, which was really quite extraordinary. And of course, we can only imagine what his relief would have been. He returned to full favor. And there's been speculation for almost 500 years about the nature of Wyatt's relationship with Anne Boleyn. And I don't actually have the answer. Surprise, surprise. But it seems like there was an aspect of unrequited love on the part of Wyatt who may have taken Anne's flirtatious nature a bit too seriously. I don't know. 
He was also briefly imprisoned again in 1541, but released, and he died in 1542 of unknown causes. But he was still sadly estranged from his wife, and he had been living with his mistress and their daughter. He wrote one of his most famous poems, for which he will always be remembered, in the tower. He most likely or probably saw Anne Boleyn being executed from his room in the tower where he was being held. And so this, his very famous poem, the Latin of it translates roughly to the thunder rolls around the king. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, I'm just going to read two verses that really quite stick with you. These bloody days have broken my heart, my lust, my youth did them depart, and blind desire of a state who hastes to climb seeks to revert, of truth circa regna tonat. The bell tower showed me such sight that in my head sticks day and night, there did I learn out of a great, for all favor, glory, or might, that yet circa regna tonat. So, you know, really stuck with him what he saw when he was in the tower. So along with Wyatt, there was Henry Howard, the Earl of Surrey, and those two men were the first to produce sonnets in English, and together they share the title Father of the English Sonnet. So who was Henry Howard? He was the first cousin of Anne Boleyn. He had royal blood in his veins, and was he was brought up at Windsor with Henry VIII's illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy, who was 16 months younger than he was. He was born in 1517. By 1532, he was part of the group that went with Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn to France. And that's the place where Anne most likely slept with Henry for the first time, finally. Henry the King, not Henry, her cousin. Anne wasn't sleeping with Henry, her cousin. Anne was sleeping with Henry the King. There's like way too many Henrys right now. So Henry, cousin, goes with Henry King and Anne to France. Anne sleeps with Henry King. There you go. 1532. (laughs) And... Henry cousin, our Henry, Henry Howard, he stayed in France for a while. He came back for Anne's coronation later on the next summer. And he married yet a son in 1536, which was also, of course, the year that all hell broke loose for the country in general. Of course, his cousin Anne was tried and beheaded. And then Henry Fitzroy, the illegitimate son of Henry VIII, died. And then the Pilgrimage of Grace happened when the North rebelled against the Reformation. I actually did an episode on that, a short episode, several years ago, about six six years ago or so. Um, I'd like to revisit that sometime. Anyway, the Pilgrimage of Grace, you can listen to the episode I did about that if you want to learn more about it. But it was a general uprising against the Reformation. Henry Howard fought the rebels. His problem was, though, that the Howard influence was decreasing in the following year or so, thanks, of course, to the fall of Anne Boleyn and the rising of the Seymours. And Henry Howard faced a tough time. He was actually accused of being sympathetic to the Pilgrimage of Grace, which is kind of stupid considering he fought against the rebels. But he wound up being imprisoned in Windsor. And he was released later in the year. He attended Jane Seymour's funeral. But while he was in prison, he wrote a poem, Prisoned in Windsor, which recounted the kind of juxtaposition of his days growing up with the son of a king and then his current situation. So he says, So cruel prison, how could betide, alas, as proud Windsor, where I in lust and joy with a king's son my childish years did pass, in greater feast than Priam's son of Troy, where each sweet place returns a taste full sour. So Henry Howard returned to favor. He was made a Knight of the Garter in 1541, but then he had a very swift fall. As King Henry's health was failing in 1546, Henry Howard 
made the mistake of mentioning to Prince Edward that it was obvious that his father would become the protector when Henry VIII died, and Edward, of course, would still be a minor. Now, it was actually treasonous to talk about the death of a king, so that in and of itself would have been enough. But then he very stupidly put royal arms on a shield, which was just kind of dumb. I don't know what he was thinking there, but he was arrested, he was tried for treason, and he was executed in 1547. The final poet I'm going to mention here, Sir Philip Sidney, he's a generation after these first two. Sir Philip was born in 1554 in Kent. He is remembered for his poetry, but also as a national hero. He defended the Protestants in the Low Countries, and he died of a battle wound. And his death is remembered as being supremely poetic. He was laying there dying of a gunshot wound, and he gave up his water to another wounded soldier. He told the soldier, thy necessity is greater than mine, which of course, you know, hearkened back to his noble upbringing. And, and it was just this, you know, wonder, kind of wonderful way to be remembered. So his father, Sir Henry Sidney, had been a close personal advisor to Edward VI. And then when Edward died, he somehow managed to stay in favor with Queen Mary. He named his son after her husband, Philip II of Spain. And Philip of Spain also agreed to be the child's godfather. Philip's mother was Lady Mary Dudley. She was the sister of Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester. And of course, he's famous for being Queen Elizabeth's secret crush. Philip also would marry Francis Walsingham's daughter, Francis. Francis Walsingham named his daughter Francis, one spelled with an I, the other with an E. Anyway, um, so he was kind of part of this large network of Protestant nobility. When he was 13, he started at Oxford. And then in 1572, he began his diplomatic service as an envoy to the King of France. And he experienced, he lived through the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, where the Protestant Huguenots were massacred by Catholics throughout France. Sidney started writing poems. He wrote a play called The Lady of May that was performed at the Earl of Leicester's Royal Entertainment for the Queen in 1578. He was kind of starting to write poetry early on. And then he's also remembered because he had a, a big fight with Edward de Vere, the Earl of Oxford. It's called the Tennis Court Quarrel. They were apparently talking about the rights of play and different ranks and how they were playing. But there were all these tensions beneath it. Uh, and the two had been rivals for Anne Cecil, who was William Cecil's daughter, and Oxford had married her. It was just really quite a messy situation. The Queen admonished Sidney for his behavior. He left court. He went to his sister Mary's estate at Wilton, where he took up writing a long poem called The Arcadia for her, for his sister. He also wrote a sonnet cycle then. Shakespeare actually made a lot of fun in Sydney in a couple of his plays, including a character, Master Slender in The Merry Wives of Windsor, which referenced his marriage negotiations with Anne Cecil. So Philip Sidney died at Arnhem in the Netherlands on October 17, 1586, after he was wounded in a battle against the Spanish Catholic forces, and his wound turned gangrenous. And like I said, apparently, according to legend, he gave up his water to, for another wounded soldier and said, thy necessity is greater than mine. And he had a huge state funeral. His father-in-law, Francis Walsingham, almost went bankrupt 
putting on this amazing funeral for him. And it happened only eight days after Mary, Queen of Scots, was beheaded. So it was kind of strategically timed to have this big funeral right when all of that was going on to sort of divert attention. So he's buried at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. So that's it for this mini cast. And I'm going to be back next week with a full episode on the economies of Kent and Sussex during the mini industrial revolution that was happening in the mid 16th century, as iron was being mined, making cannon for Henry VIII's Navy. And I talked about that a lot last week. So there are a couple of show notes for this mini cast, not a lot because it's short, um, but there's a couple of show notes. So remember to go to the website, englandcast.com, enter the King's College Choir um, CD and DVD giveaway, send me feedback or nice thoughts via Facebook, which is facebook.com slash englandcast, or tweet me at Tesco. So yeah, go to the website, enter the contest. Um, somebody's going to win. So it's... a Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM really cool collection, the DVD and the CD. And thanks again to the Choir of King's College, Cambridge, for providing that. And so I'm going to be in London and Cambridge this week myself with my daughter. I'm really excited to take her on her very first trip to the UK. And she's already been practicing saying Mig Men very carefully. So we're excited to see Big Ben, Mig Men. <laughs> anyway, I hope you all have a fantastic week. And I'm going to be posting the next episode on Sunday, the 13th of December. Have a great week. Blow, northern wind, ascend for baby sweating. Blow, northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hote board in Bauerbrick, that soul is semis on sea. Menschful Maiden of Licht, fair and freight of wonder, in all this war, flesh of one, bird of blood and of bone, never yet in Ustenon, God's Samaritan.